Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. My assignment this morning is to share a message called, It's Time to Get Set. It's Time to Get Set. This um, book of Colossians is a beautiful writing from Paul, a beautiful letter, and it is an encouragement uh, and a bit of a shake-up for a group of Christians that, as I mentioned before, were faced with some cultural issues. And what Paul is doing, you'll see these themes um, throughout the book of Colossians, where Paul talks about the supremacy of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the, uh, the radiance of Jesus, the glory seen in Jesus. And he's addressing, as I mentioned before, Gnosticism. And Gnostic thinks, think about knowing. There is uh, a sense that there were Gnostics largely influenced by, by Plato. And Gnostics believed Gnosticism uh, really was a, an idea that as you know something, it gives you power and insight. You can know in the flesh and in the natural and that it's not so much about Jesus Christ and Him being God, it's, it's there is more power in you and what you know. And uh, we see this dualism take place, which is where asceticism, we're going to use some technical terms just as an overview, but asceticism, which addresses denial of the flesh, as I mentioned before again, to, uh, to, um, to have a sense of righteousness. And so Paul is saying this, he's saying it's in Jesus Christ being God, being divine, it's in Him and knowing Him that you can really have access to God the Father. That's how you inherit and experience eternal life. And so he's also addressing, which is what Gnosticism believes, that in the, in the, the, the things in the natural, the earth, that's evil and everything that's spiritual, everything that's supernatural, well, that's all something really special and that must be right and good, but everything in the natural is evil and wicked. That, but that's not actually true. It's all spiritual at the end of the day. It's all interconnected. Jesus Christ is both in the natural and the supernatural. He is both human and divine. In fact, this amazing thing about God putting skin on, putting the flesh on, cloaking Himself, coming into humanity to redeem humanity on the cross. What happened on the cross was something absolutely incredible, where He has uh, redeemed humanity and brought together physical or human and divine together forever. Jesus right now is the man God. There, he is in the glorified body right now. Jesus, we can see, we'll see of, of, of the holes in his hands. We'll see that. Jesus Christ is an incredible being that we will be identifying with. That we also, as he has a glorified body, we too will have a glorified body. But Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. So as Paul writes this letter, you will see conversations around sp- spiritual and spiritual elements come up. And Paul is saying that Jesus Christ sits above all of that. So I want to start, if we can, from... um, I'm going to read a part of each of the four chapters today. I'm going to start off at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. And as Paul writes this, he's assuming that we know Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, which says what? 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God was there in the beginning. With that assumption, he writes this, okay? It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, I'll go through to verse 20. He is the image of the invisible God. Who's he? Come on, you've got to help me out today. Who's he? Right, exactly. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Can you see what Paul's trying to tell us here? It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus isn't just another dude. He's not just some sort of legend. He actually really is Lord. And what Paul is saying, let's turn our attention to Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. That word invisible actually is not just about you can't see God, it's you can't really know God. He is the way to know this unknowable God. How do you know this God from a distance who's out there somewhere? Well, he is knowable and he is visible through the person and the power of Jesus. Check out what it says here. Here's a quote from... um, Arthur Peake, in his commentary, he says, God is invisible, which does not merely mean that he cannot be seen by our bodily eye, but that he is unknowable. In the exalted Christ, the unknowable God becomes known. So my question to you today, brothers and sisters, is do you really know God? Or do you know of him? Muslims don't get to know God because they don't know Jesus. Buddhists don't get to really know God because they don't know Jesus. Taoists don't really get to know God because they don't know Jesus. It doesn't matter. You can shake, rattle, and roll as much as you like, but unless you know Jesus Christ, you ain't knowing God. That's just how it is. And the gospel is this good news that there is a God out there who created us, who existed before eternity before eternity began and will always exist, but somehow we can know him through this person called Jesus. Do you know him today? Do you know him? I'm not asking if you know a church. I'm not asking if you even know a book. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Because you can know about church and you can know about the Bible, but you can still miss Jesus. Jesus has a crack at the Pharisees in John chapter 5 and he says, you guys, you know the book, you've scoured it, you know the scriptures, but you neglect the fact that it's actually pointing to me. Do you know him? Do you you really know him? If you're taking notes, write this down. We can't savor what we can't see. We can't savor what we can't see. I had the juiciest steak last night. I'm a sucker for a good steak. 
If I go out to a restaurant, I'm, I'm a little bit mm, uncertain whether I'm going to order that steak because I'm such a steak snob. <laughs> don't muck up my steak. Like, I, I cook my... I don't know if you want, you want me to go into details how I cook my steak. How many people know how to sous vide a steak? You know how to sous vide? So you guys know a good steak then. You're picking up what I'm putting down today, right? I like my steak cooked at between 53, 54, maybe 55 degrees. I like it between... I'm serious. <laughs> oh man, I've lost half of you right now. I like it. I like it between medium rare and medium. It give or take on the steak. I love a good Scotch fillet. If you if you dry out my steak, I'm walking. I'm telling you, baby. I want a refund on that sucker. So last night I had the juiciest steak. To cook it for about two and a half hours, I was sous videing it, and it was done at about 53 or 54. Can't remember yesterday. And then what I do is I take it out, I pat it dry, it's, it's, it's cooked beautifully, it's so tender and delicious. And then I pat it dry, I chuck a bit of butter on the pan, and then for about 30, 45, between 30 and 45 seconds, jeez, I am a snob, aren't I? I cook it just to sear the outside, and it was mwah, with a side of lettuce, and with a little bit of um, olives, I've got some avocado in there too, I've lost even more of you at that point, because I know some of you really are averse to avocado, some cherry tomatoes, it was delicious! But I can't tell you how good that is unless you've actually experienced it. Unless you've first-hand seen, oh, I should have taken a picture and just shown you today. <laughs> now, 10 years ago, I liked my steaks well done because I thought any bit of red was blood. That's not true. That's not blood. I was an uncultured swine back then, like many of you are. <laughs> But now, oh my goodness, the more that I get to really enjoy a good steak, I'm telling you, it's the best thing ever. Jesus is like that beautiful medium rare steak. If only we can see him. Have you really tasted him? To enjoy him. You can't really appreciate something unless you've come to behold it for yourself. To really behold the person of Jesus. And this is the beautiful thing anyway, that we tend to become what we behold. The things that we behold, our attention, our affection, our adoration, we become discipled toward that item that we behold, that thing that we behold. So are we beholding Him? Are we tasting Him? Are we seeing Him? Because it's only once we really see Him that we can savour Him. I can't explain to you the importance of savouring Jesus if you've never actually seen Him. And Paul's trying to paint a picture to us that Jesus is incredible. He, the person, the presence, the power of Jesus, it's in Him and what He's done. When we really see Him, then we get an understanding for what God is like. He's better than we realize. He really is. And the Bible says here, here is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn. Again, that same word, amongst many brothers and sisters. In Revelation, it tells us in chapter 1 that He is the firstborn that rises from the dead. He is the firstborn. It doesn't just mean that He's like an older brother, though in a sense He is like an older brother. It means that He is first. He comes so this is challenging, how much of my life do I put Jesus first? 
When I've got a headache, is the first thing I'm going to do, grab a Panadol, or is it, hey, Lord, would you help me here? Is he first in my life? When the situation comes up, be it bad, will I, will I come to him first? If it's good, will I give him the praise first? What will I do first? Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6 tells us. Not second, not third, but first. So what are you putting first? What are you feasting off? What are you eating? That reality, that he is first, that he is good. Because you are what you eat. Any dietitians know that? Doctors will tell you that. You want to get healthy, put some better things in your, in your body. I've been eating a lot of ice creams lately. I'm telling you, after that fast, whoo, dolly. I buy the ice creams telling the kids it's for them, but really, I sneak them late at night. When the connoisseurs are on, on, on sale for half price, and you go to the freezer section in Coles and Woolies, they're gone because they're at my house. <laughs> Magnums too, I like them. So what truth or what reality are we feeding of ourselves? Here's a reality that I, in chapter 2, I have to keep reminding myself of. It says, and you, verse 13 of chapter 2, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, here's another, here's another crack at the principalities and powers that people were, were, were concerned about there. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by trying him. So the truth is, right now, I am alive in Christ. Bible says that I am hidden with Christ in God. You and I, right now, we are seated with him in the heavenly realm. When we struggle and we err, we, we, we wrestle in this, in this life, we must remember that our default setting is not here on earth, but up there with him. So I need to feast off the reality that I'm with him right now and I'm forgiven. You're forgiven, brothers and sisters. While we were hostile, while we were lost in our trespasses, Jesus died for us and he made us alive. We didn't do that. I didn't do that. I can't take credit for it. He gets all the glory. Philippians 3 reminds us we are citizens of heaven whether the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. Here's another truth to feast off, that we are citizens of heaven just passing through, passing through. But I like to, I like to make my nest here on earth. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. The older that I get, which is feeling pretty old these days, Oh man, I went to the men's camp. I was freezing my nipples off on um, Friday. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting so old. The younger version of me would be like, yes. Now I'm like, oh, I don't go. I've got a singlet on. I've got a black shirt on. Then I've got a jumper on. Then I've got my hoodie on. And then I've got my sleeping bag on. And I'm still complaining. And I'm getting old. 
What are you laughing about? <laughs> the older that I get, the realize, man, life is going so quick. It's going so quick. So I can't get too comfortable here because I'm just passing through. And I must remind myself of the reality that home is heaven. Home is heaven. So the decisions that I make now, as Gladiator says, will be echoed in eternity. I've got to think about the choices I make now with eternity in mind. So what our mind focuses on, our lives will magnify. This is why it's so important for us to be paying attention to, to where our mind is at. Where are we set up here? Where are we thinking? What are we dwelling on? If our experience is pain in life and we continually set our mind on pain and we don't shift off that, then we can become miserable. But if we can, in our minds, make a decision to set our minds on God in the midst of any pain, we experience joy. See, we have this ongoing conundrum. We live in a world that disciples us in a way that says, it's all about you, woe is you, you are at the center of this world and you have every right to be happy and you have every right to be rich and you have every right to be healthy. Whereas God says, hang on, I sit above all of that. Look to me first and let me take care of that. No matter what happens. I'm teaching my girls this at home. Girls, you must remember, in life, tough times are going to come. I don't want to shelter them or cover them with cotton wools. They'll become spoiled little children. God, in the same way as a good father, doesn't just intentionally shelter us and protect us from hardships because he wants us to grow up. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. Our world, in many senses, is going to hell in a handbasket. Amen or ouch? Both. Our world is so confused and messed up right now. I saw on the news just this last week that in, eastern, in an eastern state over in Australia, there are teachers that are, are being told to not talk to the parents of students if they're wrestling with their gender identity. To not tell parents about pronouns that their children are demanding to use in the classroom. Gender pronouns. We're talking about gender pronouns now? Gender dysphoria, we actually don't hear the terms gender dysphoria anymore, which is confusion about gender apparently. It's, it's all gender identity now. It's because dysphoria is anxiety brought about by mental health, but this isn't mental health, this is identity related. So we're living in a world now that is trying to uh, encourage this woke culture when we're not awake at all. We're being lulled into a false sense of security, which can I just add is often a byproduct of um, humanism and individualism. This is what, now we're really getting, getting into it. So... The beauty of Christianity 
And the beauty of the Judeo-Christian ethic is that we hold that God created us in His likeness and image and we are granted um, rights to exist and we have intrinsic value, male and female, rich and poor, young and old. We have these rights of freedom to express ourselves and be ourselves. But we have that because we are created in His image. It comes from God. But what happens is, as God blesses this group of people, then we kick God out of the conversation. Truth, therefore, is thrown out, and then truth becomes relative. And so truth is relative to you, well, it's different to what's truth is your truth and what's different is your truth. And then we can't agree on what's true anymore. Because remember, we've kicked God, we've kicked God out, then therefore we've kicked morality out, we've kicked the Bible out and it's illegal now. And the very God that grants us freedom, we then kick out and then we experience enslavement. What's that enslavement to? Well, ourselves without God. This is just a foretaste on what God, what life is like without God. We kick him out of the conversation. We then become gods unto ourselves, and then true, uh, subjective relativism comes in, which, 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 which everything's relative. And, and, and you identify as a cat today, meow, meow to you, tomorrow you can wolf and become a dog, and that's fine. And, and you, you, you're now compelling me and my speech to call you Sir Wolf's a lot, but yesterday you're Miss Meow's a lot. And, and, and if I don't bow the knee, then you're going to take me to court, really? I mean, that's the line we're headed down. Why is this happening? Why is it happening? Because we're just confused. And while Gnosticism was a cultural challenge in the Christian church, wokeism, perhaps, is challenging us. Right in front of us and encouraging us to engage in alarmism. And fear. And oh no, there's another strain of the virus. Let's all be so fearful now. Oh no, no. Run around like with our heads chopped off like chooks. And we're taking our eyes off Jesus. Amen or out? Are you with me or not? Oh, be careful. Here's some more alarmism. The world's going to end by 2030. It's going to blow up because of climate change. Is it global warming or is it global cooling? Oh, it's climate change now. Whatever it is that doesn't give rise for us, whatever your theories are, just don't take your eyes off Jesus and keep in mind the climate changes every day. Whatever your theories, whatever your ideologies, Jesus sits above it all. And we can't let that creep into the church to distract and dissuade or even depress us. Otherwise, we're looking and smelling and walking and talking like the world. Let's not cave or give in. There are people that often, often, that don't know Jesus, want some truth and hope. And all I need to do is I pull this beautiful book out. And no matter what, it speaks truth and is always up to date on any given subject. It's always accurate. I don't need to Google it. I can tell you because I know what's in here. Do you think that the challenges that we're experiencing in this world now are unique to just this generation? It's just taken different forms. That's all it is. It's different forms. But we've got to be set 
And our eyes have got to be set on him and the things that are above. Check this out in Colossians chapter 3. I'll read from verse 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I'm going to read verse 2 again because I know that went over some of our heads. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What's that pointing to? Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back really soon. Are we ready? Are we wanting? Are we willing for him to return? Is there a sense of urgency in our hearts about this? Or are we just allowing everything to bombard our eyes, our minds, our ears constantly to take our eyes off Jesus? What are we feeding ourselves? What am I feeding myself? It's NBA time now. You know, we're talking finals at the moment. That is such a massive distraction. Do you know how much I love sports? Football, AFL, it's not a distraction for me at the moment. Because the Eagles are doing terrible. I've got to move on right now. They lost to Carlton. (laughs) Terribly. Painful to watch. But I don't want to be distracted with things that are not eternal. I'm not saying let's not enjoy things in the present. Do those things. But let it not fill up our minds and our hearts. Why? Because what our minds focus on, our lives will magnify. My girls are so clever. I have a, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an 11-year-old. And just when I think I'm going to teach them something holy, they smack me across the head with something holier. I was talking about what we're listening to on the radio a number of months back. I said, girls, you've got to be careful what you're listening to, what you're watching what you're watching, what movies you're watching, what you're listening to on the radio, because it might have a great ending, a funny storyline. It might have a, um, a great tune to it, but listen to the subliminal messages because Satan will use whatever he can to get into your head and into your heart. And one of my girls says, yeah, Dad, garbage in, garbage out. I thought, oh, my giddy aunt, that is so true. Garbage in, garbage out. Guard your heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23 says. For out of it spring forth the issues of life. From the mouth of my babes, God speaks to me. What am I feeding myself? What is going in? Because what's in here will eventually come out. And if if, if you hear experience and see fruit that comes from me that is rotten, it should tell you that there's some stuff that's not healthy on the inside. That's all it is. It's just symptomatic. And which is why it's really important to, to uh, uh, practice awareness and attentiveness in ourselves. What's, why did I say that? Why did I react like that? It's just a fruit on the tree that will, that will show us how healthy our soul is. And this is the beautiful thing about community. This is why we need one another. This is why I need you and you need me. Because it's in community that we can reflect and we can see each other clearly. If I'm individual and if I'm by myself doing my own thing... There's less of a check and a balance. 
But as I say something to you and you're like, "Mm, I'm not sure about that, Josh. I'm like, oh, maybe there is something there that I need to take to the Lord. This is why church, one of the reasons why church community is so incredible and why God designed people to be community-minded. Jesus always did discipleship in community. He always did it with, with people around him. Be it a group of two or three or 12 or even more, it was always done in community. We need each other. We need each other. Sure, you're going to offend someone, I'm going to offend you, you're going to offend me. We need to learn to get over that. We've got to get over it. Oh, I'm offended now, I'm going to go to the next church until I'm offended at that church, and then I'll move to another church and I'm offended at that church. No, we're going to get offended, it's okay. If I haven't offended you yet, we probably haven't spent enough time together yet. You know? Just give it some time, we're going to disagree, and I'll upset you, and you might punch me in the nose, <laughs> you might, and I'll, ha- I'll have to forgive you, okay? I'll just have to forgive you, because we need each other. So we need a saver. Only once we see, we must remember that what our minds focus on, our lives will magnify. But the final thing, I'll finish this, and if I haven't hit it home, I'll keep talking about it, that we always move in the direction of our attention. We always move in the direction of our attention. Why are we continually told by Paul in this book, keep your eyes on Jesus, look to him, look at what he's doing? Because that, that's the direction our lives will take. That's the direction we're headed in. If you want a picture of your future, look at what has your gaze now in the present. A guy in our Malaga congregation, George, he loves uh, riding bikes. And he was telling me that when he was um, instructed by a bike rider um, how to ride properly, he was told that uh, as you're riding your bike, What you don't want to do, as you've got obstacles coming, you don't look at your obstacles and try and avert them. Because if you do look at your obstacles, the things that are there to try and avoid them, you're more likely to hit them. Is that interesting? But you have to keep your eyes on where you're going, but be mindful of what's around you, but keep your eyes fixed on where you're going. Because whatever holds your attention will determine the direction that you're headed. So my question is, who holds our attention? My question is, what holds our attention? Is it a system? Is it a thing? Is it an unhealthy value that's within you? Is it it an experience from the past and you just can't shake it? I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, as Paul continues to remind us fix your eyes on knowing him and making him known fix your eyes on Jesus and helping other people see him too C.S. Lewis says that I'm just one beggar trying to help another beggar find bread I love that quote meaning he he's nothing But he knows the bread of life and all he's trying to do is help other people find Jesus too and experience that bread of life. Paul finishes in chapter 4 and he says this. 
continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So let's, let's think about that for a second. Where is, where, where is Paul when he writes this? He's in jail. He's in prison. And, and what does he ask Epaphras and the church at Colossae to um, pray for? That he gets out real quick? He doesn't pray that. <laughs> it's really interesting. This is what he writes in a letter. Not, hey, can you please pray that there's favor with the judicial system? I'm not opposed to that, but that's not what he's actually saying. He says, you continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in prayer, with thanksgiving, at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us for what? To get out? No, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He's in jail for boldly proclaiming Christ, for making Christ known. That's why he's in jail. And he's saying, pray that more doors will open up. <laughs> so we see in this incredible book, what we would say, uh, the indicative and the imperative. The indicative, what has God done? The imperative, what should we do in light of that? So in light of Jesus dying on the cross, in light of him forgiving us of our sins, with a, along with a whole range of other things you'll find in this book, we now can celebrate. We now can preach. We now can seize those opportunities. He says, verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul takes the attention from people and he says, see how, you're, see how you're looking at Jesus right now? See that? Now also include attention for other people to see him as well. If all we do is we read our Bibles and we sing Kumbaya on a Sunday and that's the end of it, then there is a lost and dying generation out there that they're going to miss out on the beauty of Jesus that we see as well. So we are compelled to share the goodness of Jesus. Just as we see and we savor the supremacy of Christ, we now have a responsibility as well as an empowerment to show and share Christ. Church, in this season, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you speak to me clearly? I want to see you. I want to savor you. But Lord, I also want to show you. I don't want to share you because you are too good for me to keep to myself. Can we pray together, church? If you're comfortable, let's stand up together. I'm going to pray and then Kyle's going to lead us in that old hymn, old, 20, 30 years ago, this is my desire and I want to invite us all to sing it together. But before we do, I want us to pray together that we in this season, like no other, we would get to enjoy Jesus, that we see Him for ourselves. I don't want you to see Him through your spouse. I don't want you to see Him through your parents or your children. I don't want you to see Him through your life group leader or your pastor. You see Him for you. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit has got to show you. Because only God can reveal God. Man can't do it. We need the sovereign Spirit of God to do it. If you will, let's just raise our uh, hands. 
as an act of surrender and openness. And we're going to invite Holy Spirit in just now to keep doing what He's begun. Lord, we ask that you would help us, precious Holy Spirit, help us to see Jesus, to savor Jesus. Lord, help us to show Jesus and share Jesus every single day. And Lord, if there are people in this room right now that need to bow the knee in their hearts to King Jesus, may it be so right now in this moment, in this moment, in this moment. Lord, if there are things in our hearts where we are clinging to so tightly, we're not allowing you to take over. Lord, would you help us open up our hands and our hearts to you? Bring it to the cross that you would deal with. We realign and we reset ourselves to you. We reset ourselves on you. And Lord, more than anything, we really do desire you. We love you. We adore you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we reset our hearts, our minds, our lives on you. Lord, where we have placed you second or third on that pedestal instead of first. Lord, we're sorry. Would you invade every crevice of our hearts and shine light and life We again, as a church, we surrender to you. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.